before we take a look at the characters, because... Uh-oh, the cats are here already. They're like, it's <laughs> podcast time. Let's do it. <laughs> Anyone is really just like meowing up a storm back here. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's already in the booth like, yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Costume Blogcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I'm Spencer Williams. Elizabeth, good evening to you. Good evening to you. We usually don't <laughs> record this late. This is different. <laughs> it's the Art of Costume Blogcast after dark. Oh, yeah. It gets <laughs> spicy after dark. <laughs> uh, how are you? What are you up to? I'm fine. I... Within like 24 hours, binged the second season of Sweet Magnolias that was released yesterday. So I've never seen it. I, I'm actually, I don't even know what show you're really talking about. It's a Netflix show and it's just like the perfect Hallmarky type <laughs> like series. <laughs> it's like, it's very cheesy. It's very sweet. It's like overly dramatic. Oh. Like the second season ended on this huge cliffhanger. I had to wait t- like almost two years <laughs> for the second season because it came out like just around the pandemic started. It's like fun. And it's just like, oh, I feel better <laughs> after watching this. Oh, that's nice. Well, I spent the past like eight hours watching the show we're about to talk about. But I've been trying to do that and not watch like the new Pamela Anderson and Tommy show on Hulu. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. They're releasing that by like week, right? I don't know. I, I think no, actually I think they released a couple. I don't know. Don't don't quote me on that. But. Okay. Cause Hulu usually does weekly, I think. And I'm like, I wanna start it, but I don't know if it's something I like I think I need to wait till it's all out and then just like watch it all in one go. <laughs> <laughs> right. All night I was like, oh, I want to watch that show. Um, but yeah, so, you know, just catch up on shows this week. I also went to a Bjork concert this week. So that was. <gasps> How was that? I saw your pictures. It looks like a dream come true for you. It was. I was trying not to like tear up. It was so good. It was a dream come true. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. I brought my dad, and he's also a big Bjork fan, <laughs> and he, he he had such a good time. Like we're sh- we're sharing a hotel room, and at night, like when I was sleeping, I could see him on his iPad, like <laughs> watching Bjork music videos. <laughs> we just like Aww. it was so good. My brother was there also, and yeah, we had such a good time. Just Bjork is just one of the best, you know, and. You don't often get to see her in person, so that was fun. Yeah, she is. That's amazing. Oh, so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Speaking of, after this amazing Bjork concert, Spencer, what did you watch this week? (laughs) This week or last night? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we are getting specific. Last night. (laughs) This week, we watched the first season, only season, of Carnival Row from Amazon. And whoa. Just whoa. (laughs) How did you like it? (laughs) We haven't talked about this yet. I've been saving it. I'm like, I'm just going to talk to Elizabeth tomorrow. Um, this shit was crazy. It was not at all what I thought it was. I was right? so caught off guard. 
<laughs> and the first like five minutes, people are getting like their heads shot off and people hanging from the trees. I was like, what did Elizabeth sign me up to watch? She did it again. What the fuck? <laughs> it's crazy. And it's so horny. Everyone's having sex and right? guns and racism. I was like, oh my gosh, I was not mentally prepared for this. But by the end of it, I actually really love this show. And I'm glad to know that there's going to be a season two because now I'm like really invested in what's happening here. Right. It's one of those shows like you see the trailers and you're like, oh, that looks that looks fine. Yeah. And then you get into it and you're like, like, there's mystery. There's like murder, romance, like it's all in there. And it's it's wild. Yeah. I was like, oh, Cara Delevingne, she's playing Tinkerbell. That's great. And, you know, not not <laughs> really looking forward to this show. And then, like two episodes <laughs> in, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm so glad you liked it because I was really worried you were going to text me and be like, we can't do this. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't, this like, it's not exactly what you watch. I felt like... Um. I don't know. I think it really made sense for me by the end of it. Like it was just so deep and it, it said so much about, you know, it was such a real story actually. I mean, at the face of it, it's very fantasy, but like this isn't too different than what we've lived through as a human race, like in real life already with looking down upon other people by the way they're born or where they come from. So, I mean, this story just, if anything, was hitting too hard in the fields. I was like, oh, Elizabeth, why? <laughs> you were like, too deep, too deep. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a great series, and I think we just need to jump into it. Yeah, let's do it. There's a lot of costumes to get through, so let's just do this. All right, a summary. A growing population of mythological immigrant creatures struggle to coexist with humans after the creatures' exotic homelands are invaded by the empires of man. Of course. Of course they did. The creatures are forbidden to live, love, or fly with freedom, but hope lives in darkness. Human detective Philo and a refugee fairy Vignette Stonemoss, I almost call her Vinaigrette, rekindle a dangerous affair despite being in an increasingly intolerant society as Philo takes on his most important case yet, a string of gruesome murders threatening the uneasy peace of the row. Ooh. That was your spoiler warning, people. <laughs> Did I say the whole thing? <laughs> no, that was perfect. But uh, okay, great. we're going to ruin all the secrets and twists of this show. So as best as we could, I feel like I'm still trying to process everything I just watched. So I'm sure you'll help me. Yeah, no. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. This might not make sense otherwise, because especially because this week we're going to do things a little different. We're mostly going to be going character by character instead of episode by episode, just because it makes a little bit more sense for how the costumes were done. And with that said, we're going to go behind the wardrobe because this stunning, fascinating wardrobe was brought to us by series creators Travis Beecham and Renee. <laughs> I wrote it there <laughs> and I never thought about how... To pronounce that. <laughs> Echeveria. Echeveria. Yeah, there you go. Brought to us by series creators 
Travis Beecham, and Renee Echeverria, and most importantly, costume designer Joanna Eatwell. Ooh. Who you will definitely know from something. Her no- notable work includes The Paradise, Wolf Hall, for which she received her first Emmy nomination, Taboo, The Miniaturist, Beecham House, A Christmas Carol from 2019, her most recent film, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and what we're all here for, Carnival Row, for which she received her second Emmy nomination. Oh, nice. I mean, deservedly so. Yeah, because this was a huge production. It was a pre-COVID production, so there were no restrictions that they had to deal with. (laughs) Unfortunately, Joanna has not really done a ton of interviews. There's a um, very small little, you know, behind the scenes from Amazon on YouTube where she talks a little bit about it. And she was briefly interviewed by Backstage about the series, but there's not a lot of information out there about, you know, the special effects makeup, the costumes, all of the amazing, amazing wardrobe hair and makeup that was done on this. There's not a lot of information out there about it, but in the behind the scenes for Amazon, she does give some kind of, you know key points of where they were coming from for the costumes. But first things first, you know, Carnival Row is such like an expansive universe. Like when I first watched it, I really thought I was like, oh my gosh, this must be based off like a series of books because there's so much. This this feels like some Dune level shit that's going on here. Exactly. (laughs) So I went wild trying to find what this was based off of. And it is actually based off a film script written by Travis Beecham in college. This is all from his head. So they... (laughs) Mental. (laughs) Right? So they were really starting from scratch. They, They had to create each of these cultures for all these different kinds of beings. First things first, for the human world, she based it solely off the late Victorian era. I think she also kind of went up into the 20s a little bit. So that kind of like 1890s, I I think up to the 20s, because you see a little bit of 20, 20s influence in a couple different spots, but we'll get there. Um, but that's the human world, because one thing she said to backstage was that they were creating a world that was parallel to our own where some of the history lined up but not completely so there for the berg which is the main place our story takes place it's really supposed to kind of be a parallel to like late victorian imperial britain that's really what they're going for and for all of the other races they were mostly based off our world's eastern cultures So, especially for the Fae, that influence really comes through. Um, But that is pretty much it for our Behind the Wardrobe facts. And after this, we're just going to jump into the characters. I'm so excited. 
I'm going to go get my wings already. I'm going to fly through this break to the other side. I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> Me <was> too. <laughs> Everyone just have a nice break. Yes. <laughs> to head to turn and knock for some costumes i am i am everybody we're gonna take a quick look at episode three before we take a look at the characters because Uh oh the cats are here already they're like it's (laughs) podcast time let's do it (laughs) anyone is really just like meowing up a storm back here anyway (laughs) (laughs) daniel's already in the booth like yes (laughs) No, because I'm like I'm like cleaning all my bed sheets, so she's like she's upset that she can't like be on my bed. Come on, come on, Eowyn. We have an episode to do here. Anyways, turn and knock. Turn and knock. <laughs> this gives us. This is the third episode that really gives us the backstory of our two main characters, Philo and Vinaigrette. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this freaking cat. <laughs> oh my god, the cat is straight on Elizabeth right now. <laughs> hey, they're trying to record a show hey, here. Ellen, I need you to like. Calm this is down. ridiculous. Here, there's your chair. Someone let a cat in a recording booth. <laughs> hey, she's allowed here. She's a valued member of the team. She is. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> roll back. In this episode, we get the backstory of our two main characters, Rycroft Philistrate, played by our man, Orlando Bloom. Yes. Very, very happy about this. I was very pleased. Yes. <laughs> very good element of this show, Mr. Bloom. <laughs> and our other main character, a Vignette Stonemoss, played by Cara Delevingne. Who I did not know she could actually act to this show. Right. She did a great job. I was I was happy because the only time I've ever seen her do anything was that first Suicide Squad movie, which I don't want to talk about. Oh, yeah. I forget she's in that. I actually forget about that movie a lot. Yeah, on purpose. But yeah, oh my gosh. they They had such good chemistry. I was really kind of feeling it. They do have really good chemistry, which I was happy about. And... The third episode gives like the perfect backstory for the both of them because it takes place in a noon at Turnanok where Philo, who is part of the Burgish army, and Vignette, who is, you know, in her homeland just trying to help protect her people, they're like, you know, they're in the thick of it and they just create a little love connection. Mhm. Very steamy. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is why Elizabeth picked this show. This this <laughs> library romance we have going on here." Right? Right? <laughs> it's the perfect show for fairy tale romance month. <laughs> for fairy tale romance month. Yes. Um, my choice. This is the grittier side of fairy tale romance month. <laughs> right. I loved the military costumes, though, that Philo and the Burgish army were wearing, though, is very sophisticated and, you know, very, you, we've talked about 
war costuming a lot on this podcast and just how difficult of a craft it is. And Joanna Eatwell did such a great job. She does a really good job. And this is why I kind of like extend the period of influence up into the 20s a little bit, because there's a lot of influence in the Berg's military costume from World War One and some of uh, between like the British and American uniforms of the time. It really invokes a sense of that war, that era. And it's just it's a little more formal than, you know, World War Two, but like not as formal as it would have been like you know, in the 18th century. Yeah. The, especially like the long overcoats. Um, that to me was saying a lot of, you know, world war one to me. So yeah, I think she like definitely borrowed from a lot of different time periods. And I love that actually. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And it, it makes it very grounded in reality and in, in the feature at, um, where they were talking about the costumes. That's what a lot of the actors said. It They were like, yeah, this is like, a high fantasy show but the costumes like look like you would find them in everyday life she also created quite the look for the people of turnock the fae Ooh, oh my gosh that queen i was obsessed with i'm she might have yes oh my gosh that costume i one of my favorites that's such a good one i love it it's so beautiful, like the the rose embroidery down the front, the the furs, like the headdress. It all it's like it's so otherworldly. It's like, oh, of course this person is important. Right. She I mean, is she like a queen or something? But she So she's one of the Mimas, I which from how I understand in the show, they're kind of like spiritual leaders. So more like a priestess than a queen. Well, she looked beautiful. I love that costume. Definitely one of my favorites. Um, But yeah, I was obsessed with all the costumes from the Fae. You know, there was all just very... I don't don't even know how to describe it. They're just beautiful. It it is beautiful. And it's, you know, in, in most shows, we see fairies as very, like, ethereal, like, wispy beings. With, like, you know, usually a lot of, like, silk and chiffon... And it's like they're flitting around like a springtime forest. But this is very real. You know, it's winter. So they have these like very thick, you know, coats and layers. But what I like and you'll kind of see this later. But in contrast to the Berg is there's so much color in them. Yeah. Even though like they are kind of like an austere people. There's color and pattern and just like you can tell they kind of try and put like beauty in everything. Cause they also have these beautiful appliques and embroidery on like all the costumes. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to say almost is like, I feel like it's cool to see fairies in this almost kind of like real life depiction where they're still very connected to nature in a sense where they're taking on the colors of the world around them and they are using brighter colors, but they're still very real and based in reality, which I thought was a really great take on this. Absolutely. And I I love also how like all of those wings are actually like um prosthetics okay. that they put on the actors. <laughs> I, I just, mean, I, I wasn't really sure. I, was, I, did, I had no idea how they did it. Oh my gosh, I'm like stuttering today. 
I did it's, not know how they did it, but to me, it almost looked like it was like clothy fabric at some point. It just really blended into the wardrobe, which was really cool. Yeah, it was. And everybody has them. But like, I love how you can see like the clothes are like built around in the back. The clothes are built around the wings. Like there's openings for them. That was one of my favorites when there's that one point where vinaigrette <laughs> was. Why do you keep calling her vinaigrette? <laughs> Vignette is not a hard word. <laughs> to make you mad. Um, oh, there's course. one part where she like pulls something over her wings. And I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, like all the clothes are specially built around the wings. And I love that. It's so real. I'm sure Joanna Eatwell probably wasn't a hundred percent thrilled about the extra challenge, but like <laughs> it still came out beautifully. <laughs> It does, and it works, and you know, like I said, I I love this episode because it really establishes like who the Fey are, and then going over to the Berg where the rest of this story takes place, that becomes very important, and that was one thing they really tried to convey that like all of these different kinds of beings that we see in the Berg, they have their own specific cultures and influences and ways of being and doing things that are extremely different from the Berg. But with that said, we're going to jump into our main character, Mr. Rykoff Philistrate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My favorite bowler hat guy. <laughs> yes. I got to say, was not a fan of his bowler hat. Oh, I to me, it was actually the first time I've ever been like, that's a nice bowler hat. Really? I just thought it was like too tall for his head. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> How the turntables. Uh, exactly. But underneath that, his hair. Mm, he's got some good hair in this show. Oh, yeah. He looks good with that beard, too. It's Orlando. Right? Legolas. And he, this like character, I feel like is made for Orlando Bloom because he's very reserved. He's, you know, he's half fey. So he's just feel like been hiding this whole time. Just being like, oh, I'm a human <laughs> ignore me <laughs> no i loved his character and his costumes were so great I, I loved his coats and his trousers he was always wearing i was just always into it and you know i love the bowler hat i'm that's the first time you'll ever hear me say i like the bowler hat i i'm happy for you <laughs> um i really like his costume too because I, I feel like it's all very nice, but he clearly, like, doesn't take care of it very well. Like, he isn't, like, overly worried about how he looks. <laughs> like, he always looks a little disheveled, and it all looks, like, just a little old, which I'm like, ooh, that's perfect. Like, he's a guy who's just, like, not really worried about things, clearly. Yeah, because he's always running around, you know, fighting crime because there's this entire world that he's living in where, you know, the citizens are constantly being abused and oppressed. He's like, oh, my gosh, how can you all like focus on nice clothes? I'm out here fighting crime every single day of my goddamn life out here. Right. <laughs> he's like, I'm the only one that will help these people over here. So he's, He's like, this woman literally got ripped apart and you guys don't care. Like, ugh, he was just over it. So, yeah, no, he's not shopping all the time. <laughs> he's not. And honestly, this is the only slide I have for him because <laughs> I don't know if he has any other clothes in this show besides his burgish uniform that he wears in the flashback episode. Like, it's very functional, you know, he's just he gets up, puts on his uniform. It's let's go to work. Let's go save some lives. 
let's go save some lives because he is a detective with the police force in the Berg. And this is one of those places where like the late Victorian era really pops out is in the police department uniforms, which were beautiful. I'm like, dang, they're they're like kind of snappy, even though they're all utter jackasses. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> in this town is terrible. Literally almost everyone. But I did love the police uniforms. Uh, they did very much remind me of like the London police officer uniform that that's, feels very real in my head. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Like they're beautiful. They're full of like little details. And I like that like the different levels of police officers have like different looks because we meet those first two that <laughs> Philo kind of beats up. And they're clearly just, like, patrol officers with, like, the longer coats and, like, the pointy hats. And then we have, like, Constable Berwick, played by Joa Ali. And he has, like, the shorter jacket with, like, it's, like, a little, like, nicer and more official. And I'm like, that's just, like, that's, like, such an attention to detail because I feel like she could have put all of them in the same sort of uniform. And, like, no one would have noticed no one right i wouldn't like i wouldn't have noticed that like oh they're all different levels of you know officers but they have this they're wearing the same thing yeah i actually didn't notice until you brought it up um but i love the use of like buttons she used on all the uniforms to almost mm-hmm. like create different designs and different levels of you know they all have different roles in this crazy crazy police station they work out of (laughs) Um, the use of buttons yes i'm into it so moving on into our lovely vignette stone moss played by cara de levine when we first meet her she is going through some stuff yeah what the fuck she's like what is happening here i was stressed right away right because she is trying to escape her homeland escape the pact who is like hunting them down this first scene is wild yeah i mean she do do you remember that part where she like goes back to help someone after she falls down yeah and she stands up and she gets shot and i was like (laughs) i almost texted you i was like what (laughs) did you make me watch oh my god (laughs) i know she is having a time of it in this first like 30 seconds (laughs) but we get to see her first of like three costume changes in the whole series (laughs) yeah not a lot is her beautiful like it it almost looks like an animal skin coat with all this like embroidery and um applique on it and i'm just like very beautiful like you know kind of from like her all of her braids it's like they like think they like to tell a story and it's like ooh, like what is this like costume saying for her like yeah i think it's just more about like you know almost kind of like the same as philo she's just more functional and she's constantly on the go she has this clearly like very durable coat on because she's running through brush and you know, jumping through barbed wire and stuff so i think it's more about durability but still kind of has that like feyish culture to it where with the embroidery where it still kind of like reminds her of the home that she used to know before clearly things have gone very south here i really wish that this show elaborated a little bit more on what was happening on that side of the world i know i 
can't wait for the second season because I, I hope they address that more. Yeah, I mean, it's um, like World War II over there. What's going on? It really is. Like, I, they, yeah, I, I, I love this first look because it really tells you who she is. Uh, but very soon, she is just in the Berg trying, trying desperately to live her life. And the only other look we get to see her in is this fabulous maroon number <laughs> that <laughs> I love. Yeah, I love it. I love the textile that she's wearing. And it just, uh, you could tell there's like almost like a quilting to it. It looks really soft, but still like also very durable. Um, I would love to speak with the costume designer actually to kind of like get her idea behind some of her costumes because they're very interesting. Yeah, and it's like, it's very clear that like a lot of the Fae and other beings who have like moved to the Berg, they kind of like are trying to assimilate, like dress a little more human, but she's just like, mm, no, I, I like my fairy fashion <laughs> and I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> fairy fashion for life. Um, Elizabeth has a photo up on the screen for her and I will put it in a show notes, but there's a photo of Cara Delevingne with her prosthetic wings in the back and I'm so glad you shared this because I was wondering what is, how, why, I know. What, what's happening. It's crazy. It looks like it's coming out of her skin. Right? So the special effects makeup artist on this was Nick Dudman, who is actually the special effects makeup artist on Harry Potter as well. Oh. A lot of those films. So he created these beautiful prosthetic wings. And I mean, clearly it was helped along by cgi but these were actual prosthetics they put on them and i just i wish i could have found out more information because they, they are beautiful yeah oh my gosh i wonder how many wings they made can you imagine they probably had this warehouse right? full of fairy wings oh my gosh <laughs> in some of the like featurettes you see because again like i said it was pre-covid there were no restrictions and it was just like they're doing like the creature makeup and it's just like chair after chair after chair after chair of like just all these like wild prosthetics being put on people. It was amazing what they did. Yeah, it was insane. It actually um, it reminded me a lot of Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy, honestly, like yeah. the little towns they created. That's what this show reminded me a lot of. Yeah, oh, I miss that movie. Oh, did you see what Ron Perlman said the other day? Oh, I sure did. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, please. He's like, we got to do another movie. I'm old and I don't want to, but we should. And I was like, yeah, the fuck you should. Yeah. And I'm like, sorry, Daniel, we're, this is a tangent. You can cut this out. But I'm He's like, okay. I know he is. <laughs> but I'm like, okay. That, how, how long ago was that last movie? Like at least 10 years ago, right? It's been a long time. She was pregnant with twins in that last film. So it's like the perfect amount of time for them to be a little like more grown and for them to have like a storyline with the kids. And I'm like, I feel like it's okay that he's a little bit older now. Like Hellboy doesn't have to be like... Yeah, Hellboy would be like a dad, you know? Yeah, he doesn't need to be the Hellboy he was in the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we veered off too far. <laughs> we, we have, okay. No, but I agree with you. Yes, 100%. Needs to happen. Anyway. Anyways, vinaigrette. Vignette. Before vignette puts on the this wonderful um maroon number she is uh has to go into indentured servitude 
And we get to see, get to meet Asif, Asif, Asifa, Afisa. <laughs> That's what it is. So they don't say anybody's names in this show. That is one complaint I have. Anyway, Daniel, cut that out. No, keep it, Daniel. It's so funny. <laughs> Afisa? <laughs> no, I... Yeah, you're right. They really didn't say each other's names in this show, so we're really no. guessing, and all the names are crazy, too. They are. <laughs> so when Vignette has to go into indentured servitude, she gets to meet Afissa, who is a puck servant for the Spurn Roses. And we get to see all of the servants of the Berg have the same exact uniform. <laughs> they do. And honestly... I've actually kind of like their servant costumes a lot, actually. Like that black with the like golden embroidery on it. I'm like, in terms of a world of servant costumes, these are actually not bad, okay? They they do kind of win the show. I think it's a little bit funny that they all look exactly the same. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but you're right. They actually are rather beautiful. Like the women have these like skirts with this like beautiful like embroidered apron and just like a little like bodice top and it's like it's all black with the gold embroidery and it's like very simple very beautiful but like what it does is just like make them all fade into the background like you can't really see them with like whoever they're you know serving so it's just, it's perfectly made for them to like blend into the background, but beautiful enough that like these rich people like clearly want them around in their home. Like they're almost like an extra ornament for them. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of disgusting, but they like want their servants to like be attractive in sense in the way that they're dressed, but they also want them to fade into the background because at the end of the day, they're like property. And damn, Elizabeth, you got us watching a dark show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have two speeds light and fluffy are dark and depressing it's, yeah <laughs> i think we realize now there's no in between seriously <laughs> she's like and next week we're watching shrek <laughs> and a week after that euphoria <laughs> like <laughs> anyways anyway back and forth another very interesting part of the servant costume for the Fae is this corset that restricts their wings. Yes. Which I wanted to hear about how this was constructed because it is wild. Oh my gosh. It stressed me out the first time I saw it. You know, you and I have talked about how we love watching people put on costumes and shows. Not this. Not this. I was like, oh my gosh, that looks so uncomfortable. But like, I wonder like how much of it's actually practical. I just, I'm so curious. It was crazy the way that like overlapped over each other. <gasps> I mean, it was so technical and I was right? kind of obsessed with it, but then I felt so bad. It's like, it, it's fascinating. Like, I want to know how it's constructed, but it's like, it's so like controlling. It's such a way to control them. Cause like, they're not allowed to fly either way, but then this is very much like, the sperm roses protecting their investment, making sure like she can't just like fly away whenever she wants, but also just a way to like hide who she is. Cause it's like, well, you know, if you don't have to show the fact that you're, you know, 
a creature from another land. We don't want you to. Yeah. For those who are just listening, it's a it's like a harness that like goes across their wings and holds it down in place. It's it's terrible. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, I it's more it's like a corset that goes over her wings and then it has like the two cr- cross cross crisscross arm pieces that like go over the top and like really like yeah, you're right, harness her wings in. Which is just, you, you can see through, like, this is part of what makes Cara Delevingne such a great actress. Like, whenever Imogene has her back turned, she's always, like, moving her back and, like, you know, like, trying to, like, touch her wings. Because, like, she's she's clearly uncomfortable in it. Yeah. Oh, man. Another servant we get to meet is Quill, played by Scott Reed, who is, like, as if, is a puck. And... I like how the men's uniforms mimic the women's servant uniforms. Still the black, still the gold, but also they look a lot like the military uniforms as well. Right. It is very military, but you know, still like, it's like I said, it's not a bad servant costume. Actually, it's actually very proper and put together. Um, That's because, you know, the chancellor has to look at this guy pretty often um but yeah i love the gold embroidery on it actually like i would actually wear this costume if i had it you know right (laughs) but i don't i'm not okay for what it stands for but the actual garment is brilliant that that was one thing they were really trying to convey is that this is a classist society there are people of different classes that are distinguished through what they wear and also with quill is the the pucks have these giant horns and one thing i was able to find was the nerdist did like a series of videos where they went to carnival row set and like talked to a lot of the people there um and they kind of did like transformations so they showed them putting on the puck horns and prosthetic and it was so interesting because it was like you know a bald cap and then almost like a second bald cap <laughs> with magnets that the horns attach to. Wow. What? A magnet? Oh, my yeah, God. A magnet. So it's like the they had this second bald cap, the horns attached with a magnet. Then it had a like fourth piece with the horns that go like across the forehead. And then each, each actor is wearing a wig what? if they're a puck because they have to put a than hair over it so it's like a wig on every single one of these characters this is insane right and i also need to watch this video that you're talking about i'll send it to you it's uh, unfortunate it's more about the individuals like getting it done to them they don't really talk about the process a lot but i'll definitely put it in the show notes for this that'd be awesome but poor quill is um (laughs) beaten down by the system And he ends up running into this extremist religion (laughs) that they very much look like monks. And it's kind of weird. It is weird. And also, I I think this is one of the plot points of the show that I was kind of confused on. I don't remember a lot of Quill, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, because all he ultimately does is 
stab the prime minister like yeah i think the show had a few little bit of holes that maybe they should have spent a little bit more time on um yeah this is one of them i wish it had been like a 10 episode season not an eight episode season so they could have used one more for sure (laughs) yeah i could i think i could have used two more episodes but yeah you get to see the pucks and aside from the fae you don't really the fae and the humans kind of get into like their religions like you know the fae clearly have they clearly have a religion with the mimas and altars to you know their deity but they don't really go into it and then the human religion is clearly based off christianity with the martyr and then there's just this puck religion that seems very extreme kind of a little bit of catholicism thrown in there but like the look of them is so interesting because they're clearly trying to like kind of mark themselves out even from the other pucks in on the row it's definitely different different it reminded me a lot of game of thrones and um gosh i don't even remember what they were called now elizabeth what was oh you, you the, know um, what i'm trying to say like the yeah the high sparrow and like all of those people yeah, yeah. it reminded me a lot of that um and just one note on the costumes too i feel like looking at the pucks too it really kind of shows like that victorian um inspiration for the costumes it reminded me a lot of sweeney todd actually like the really dark yeah really streets um clearly poverty um so i thought that was really awesome I agree. They this is really like the gritty side of the row row they're showing here. But we have to get to the the fae of the city oh, yeah. and Tourmaline, oh. who is like I think Tourmaline might be my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> right, me too. I'm like I think not 100%, but she's definitely up there. She's like the one with like a good head on her shoulders too. She's like well, like, we're all doing the best we can. Can you just calm down for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Vignette, please. <laughs> can you just sit down? Oh, man. I love Tourmaline. She was so great. She's great. Um, Play I kind of was shipping Tourmaline and Faye. To, I mean, not Faye. Tourmaline and Vignette together a little bit. Because uh, they do have, like, a past relationship. That Tourmaline very clearly would like to rekindle, but Vignette is on is like, you're my be- you're my bestie. Can we leave it there? Yeah, Vignette's kind of attracted to like that toxic relationship a little bit with Orlando Bloom. Like <laughs> right? he left you a long time ago, girl, and he's doing the same thing again. But whatever. Who knows? Anyway, Tourmaline, played by Carla Chrome, looks fantastic in this whole series. Um she is part of a fey brothel on the row, and I love her hair, first and foremost. Yes, I loved the colorful wigs. I know that it was only worn by, like, the women of the brothel, but still, like, that color, it was crazy good. Yeah, and it was so... It, this is one of the ways you, you know Joanna really did her research, because throughout history, like, the way a prostitute or sex worker does their hair indicates that they are a sex worker a lot of times through history. So I thought it was very interesting that, you know, her and the hair designer decided on 
them all having this like bright colored hair. But I, I also love what they wear, you know, outside of the brothel. Cause it's, it's very human and modern with like the coat she's always wearing. It looks like a beautiful Victorian coat. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite costumes from the show. It's just so much structure to it. It feels very like typical Victorian type costume, but like a mix of the hair, it feels like hyper fantasy pixie type fae. So I love that. It's I, the colors work so well together and I'm obsessed with the textile on her dress as she's walking through the streets. Yeah. Another place I'm obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. with the te- Stop it. (laughs) You're the worst. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Obsessed with the textiles is all the women of the brothel have these beautiful textured silks, including Tourmaline, who a lot of time wears this very cute, like, rust color number. I love the fabrics that all the women of the brothel were wearing because it felt very, like definitely very like almost kind of 20s inspired but i love that they kind of remind me of like grecian silhouettes also at the same time where i felt like they're very transparent in the way that they kind of draped across the body i thought it was very like very sexy very feminine very beautiful at the same time and very entrancing as a costume exactly and i feel like you know like i was saying before like oh we usually see fairies and like silks and like light like these light costumes. I'm like, this is them kind of putting on that show for humans, like showing them like what they think fairies should be, which is like, you know, silky and, and light and, you know, like just floating above it all. And they're in their cute little silk numbers, which like you said, very twenties inspired. Yeah, I I totally see what you're what you what you were saying at the top. It is very kind of twenties inspired. But I think these were some of my favorite costumes, just just because they're so different and varied. But we gotta talk about the the Mimas, especially Mima Baldwin, and then we have. <sighs> Hera Specs. Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> not sure if that's how it's pronounced, but um, we're doing our best. But in the city, we have Mima Baldwin, played by Jacqueline Botswan, who she of like a, the Mimas that are in the city are very much keeping to, you know, their culture. She has this beautiful dress and headdress on throughout the whole thing but unlike the one we saw in episode three the colors are very muted she feels very like of the city at the same time like she's still with the people and helping them and being a part of them that's what i got from her costume i want to talk about um harrisbex played by alice Kriege. I love this actress. I was looking at her the entire time and I was like, where do I know this woman from? And (laughs) did you ever see the movie, The Little Vampire? No. Oh my gosh. It's such like a good vampire, like kids movie from back in the day. And she has like, she plays one of the, she plays the vampire mom. She has such a like 
a beautiful recognizable face that I just kept looking at her like, oh my gosh, this is a face from my childhood. And I love her costume. It's one of my favorite costumes. It's so witchy vibes, but yeah. oh, just so nature and very like old fashioned fairy. She's been around forever, you know? Yeah. Well, I really like her character and costume too. Cause it's, she looks like a, a Mima, but she is apparently a witch in these circumstances. She practices like a darker magic than what the Mimas practice. Yeah. And I love it because it's like she looks very dark and scary and she looks a little evil, but she's not. Yeah, looks are deceiving with a lot of these characters. I feel like she's she's not evil at all she's very like like i said about the other mima she's very of the people you know and she's just here to help her people but also like do some shady dark spells at night too you know (laughs) yeah she she is definitely trying to like make her way in this world probably did not want to come to the berg is probably here against her will a little bit i don't think i needed to see the scene where she had to get the seed from Orlando Bloom, if you know what I'm saying. I forgot about that. (laughs) Thank you for that, Elizabeth. I don't know that I needed that in my life, but yeah, she's a witch who knows how to party. Yeah, none of us needed that, but it's there. (laughs) What is also there is the like underground fae who looks so cool. I know. Uh, First of all, what happened to them? (laughs) And yet just decided to stop working for them, I think. Yeah, she just one day is like, no. The leader, what were they called? The Raven? The Ravens, yeah. The leader, she was a badass. I loved her. Right? And her costume was sick. So sick. It's like they're definitely like mimicking their origins, but like it's all blacks and grays and like dark colors. And they're like, yes, we are up to shady shit. <laughs> let's move on <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my gosh i love you know like the the pieces of the, like the wigs and the hairstyling was brilliant but i just love like all the layering with the blacks and the grays and the buttons and the peplums it's just all so such great costuming those were i feel like i'm saying this about every costume that was my favorite costume <laughs> one costume to rule them all is gonna be a disaster <laughs> at the end of this but <laughs> it It is going to be a disaster at the end of this. But, you know, the Fae and the Pucks are not the only creatures on the row. There are so many other creatures that we just get to see. They have no, no plot points. We have centaurs. We have like these giant troll things. It's (laughs) wild on the row. And it's like they put so much work into these these characters that like don't even have plot points just to make this world more believable. <laughs> they got that Amazon money that they Jeff do. Bezos like <laughs> Jeff Bezos is like, do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, I love the trolls. I love the centaurs. It was kind of like bringing me back to my Harry Potter days. I just love thinking about like how this society is like interacting together. Clearly, they don't play very nice together, but I would, I wish they would. A character central to the plot we don't get to really ever see or meet her is Ashleen Carell. 
She is um, Orlando Bloom's murdered mother, who we literally only see in this one scene. <laughs> we see her for a few seconds before she's ripped apart. Yes. <laughs> and she's a fae who is clearly just like completely assimilated and like just, you know, faded into the background of, you know, what she like the life she's been dealt. Just very simple, gray. Um, yeah, she's very gray, just kind of a part of the background. You barely even see her. She's not even like a big part of the story, but like that kind of just shows like people of this town or this world, like even even the smallest person could have such a great impact on the story. And I really, you know, I thought that was great. A great character, Ashling. Well, ending on Ashling, we're going to take a little breaky break before we come back and get into some crazy characters. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> There's more. We'll be right back. ready for more costumes from this really weird world that you brought us into i am i <laughs> am we have to talk about this two brother and sister they were brother and sister yes. right yeah the spurn roses what was up with these two <laughs> imogene and ezra man these are two actors i really really like because they're so good at making you hate them. So we have Imogene Spurnrose played by Tasman Merchant and Andrew Gower, who plays Ezra Spurnrose, who is just the worst character in this entire TV show. <laughs> really? I thought there were... Yeah, I mean, well, he's definitely up there. He's up there. He's up there. <laughs> he, to me, was kind of forgettable, honestly. I forgot he was there until that last episode where I really want to fight him. I agree, because, like, through the whole thing, he's just, like, like, even, like, his costumes aren't even that, like, noteworthy. They're very, very Victorian, very standard gentlemen. Yeah, like, wearing a top hat, like, all that giving you the Victorian fantasy. All of that. And then that last episode, he just loses his mind. And you're like, oh. Yeah, well, because he's, you know interracial love he was upset and it's just oh everyone in the show so gross i know he just can't let his sister be happy but even imogene in the beginning is terrible but she has the most costume changes of anybody in this show yes i i knew as i was watching the show i was like oh okay she's gonna be like a big part of the podcast um <laughs> her costumes brilliant i love all the silhouettes it was like she was giving us like a victorian fashion show honestly absolutely and it's like it's all these very bright like pastel-y like blues and pinks but like as she gets to know mr agraeus they start to become like a little more like maroony. They really like maroon in this TV series, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, she wears like a pink costume, 
with the like a big obviously like leg of mutton sleeves obsessed with the pink huge sleeves and i'm obsessed with the green one she wears also because it was like she then takes a sleeve and it's like almost indents in the middle it's crazy i just i was getting like a history lesson it's so wild and then like I love the like the work outfit she wears before they have him over for tea, which it just it looks very like she has like that like lace apron and then just like the crisscross like bodice where it's like, oh, I'm work I'm working so hard. <laughs> but she's clearly has like a corset on that's like cinched within an inch of her life and <laughs> like two million layers seriously oh my gosh do you remember that scene when it started raining i was like freaking out I'm like oh, oh think my of gosh. all the like soaking wet <laughs> fabric that was on her that was so heavy oh my gosh so heavy so uncomfortable <laughs> but like i said as she starts to become friends with mr agreus she starts to move into these like deeper reds and maroons and i love this this tea party they have with her her human friends Cause it's just like a masterclass in Victorian costume. Yes, it's so good. And we have to talk about the one that Imogen wears. <laughs> like this costume is actually insane when you think about what's happening here. It's like I can't even describe it. It's like this golden piece of like red midriff, like a red collar. But just like the construction on it is actually bananas. It doesn't it is. It doesn't make sense to the human eye for me. It's very interesting because it kind of mimics the Faye look a little bit. Yeah. But she's there like kind of like backing up Mr. Agreus, who's a puck who that just moved into the neighborhood. So scandalous. <laughs> so it's I'm like, it's almost like she intentionally chose something that was a little more otherworldly to be like, oh, look at our fine friend. <laughs> We're going to accept him. Um, even though even she herself is not on board at this point until Mr. Agreus sends her that red dress. Oh, that red dress. I'm obsessed with it. Um, to me, it's just like that red said everything. She just, I don't know. Something about that color. She's like so evil, but at the same time, like kind of plotting and, you know, kind of like having second thoughts, just like that red velvet, it was just screaming at me like this was a symbolic moment. It like captures your attention. The hat, the like the little like um, ball details all around it. It's just like it made everybody look at her, which I think was the point. Like, you know, what it is. It's it's kind of like that Scarlet Letter type story. Like yes. she's walking around with Mr. Grayus and she's like branded as like, oh, now she's Mr. Grayus's friend. So she's almost like branded with like this red velvet that everyone's staring exactly. at. Exactly. And it's like Ooh. the start of her like <laughs> embracing who she is and what she wants because she wears red for the rest of this, the season. She doesn't wear any other color. Red becomes her power, her power color. <laughs> it is her power color. She has these two beautiful dresses made and she is just like... Yes, Mr. Grace is my new boy toy. I don't care what you all think. <laughs> but also at the same time, I will say I didn't really understand the whole point of this 
storyline like to begin with like once uh vignette left the household i was like okay what's going on it took me a while to like kind of warm up to this agreus and imogen type relationship i didn't understand at first like was she trying to take advantage of him was she wasn't oh now she's in love with him like it was all kind of blurry and i felt like it needed like its own episode or something because with the little tiny cuts in between the freaking nightmare that's happening in the city it was a little hard Mm -hmm. to follow yeah because it's definitely like for this group of you know rich high class people it's the first time you know a critch has like entered their society and been like well i have the money and everything else that you do so if that's the bar for being in your society, won't why won't you let me into your society? Yeah, I think it also says too, like you know, the people of you know the Berg and that you know in Carnival Road, they're going through real like problems. They're getting ripped apart by this monster. But then, like to the rich rich people, their big problem is that oh my gosh, there's this new guy who's not one of us, like living in a house next door. That's the big scandal. Exactly. I think that's really the narrative the show is trying to um put forth you know this is why i love these podcasts with you elizabeth because i really dive deep into these things <laughs> and i really understand it better so i take everything i said two minutes ago back good i'm happy because <laughs> i love this storyline <laughs> mr Grayus, he is really trying to fit into their society but in his own way the one thing he really does take from them is their style And he has some amazing suits. Yeah. Just out of this world. He wears this like beautiful gray suit and then this pinch, the pinstripe suit that he wears. Like so classy. He wears like special hats like to go over his horns. Like the the walking cane. Like he is (laughs) like, I'm going to be dressed to the nines all the time. Yes, so dapper, so structured. Everything's very, very tailored. It just looks so good on him. He wears the suit better than every single person in this town. Exactly. And I just love the level of detail like everyone put in because you see on his hooves, he has this like little design cut out and painted where like there's this little gold design on his hooves. And it's like... You, you literally see that in one episode, but I'm like, I bet if I went back and like tried to look at it, it, it it's probably in all the episodes, even though like you never see it. No, I, I remember the exact moment his like hoof went down and I was like, whoa, look at that bad boy. Like this guy's decked down from head to toe. And it you're right. It's real quick, but it's like such the attention to detail that, you know, this team had. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And Another place where they really had detail was with uh, Run Run Runyon Millworthy, played by <laughs> Simon Mc McBurney. This character was so cute, and like I liked him because I'm like I feel like this would be me in this world, <laughs> just kind of not knowing what's going on and being thrown into situations. Yes. Oh my gosh, I loved him, and I loved his one costume he would do during his little performances with his little, his little characters. I don't remember what this creature's name was, but like his carnival type Madame Zena Nightmare Alley like velvety embroidered you know costume he wears i loved it it's it's one of my favorites it's so good with the little hat oh 
It was so good because he's like the narrator of these like these little like vignettes that they're putting on. And like this is another feature I want to see. I'm like, were those puppets or like were those CGI? Because like all the little costumes they wear look real. Like the little costumes and the little masks they put on. Oh my gosh. Adorable. Yeah. It was kind of a trip. You're like, at, at first you're like, oh my gosh, are they puppets? No, now it's CGI. Oh, now they're puppets. Like the way they did it was actually pretty seamlessly. It, it really was. And I also love just like his transformation through this series. We're coming up on a couple of characters who really have like major transformations throughout this this series. Because he goes from just being this like down on his luck performer to the advisor of the chancellor of the Berg, like a complete 180 in his situation. And at the end he goes from looking, you know, very like fun and, you know, like, yes, my art is my life to looking very proper. I'm excited to talk about this next character. Indira Varmer, I Varma, I love this woman. She is one of Hollywood's most underused actresses. She is so I agree. Good. I agree. She, she plays Piety Breakspear. Piety. Piety Breakspear. I knew I was gonna mess that up. She's so <laughs> she good. Plays, she's so good. And they have her alongside Jared Harris, who plays Absalom Breakspear, the Chancellor of the Berg and the two of them together make like a fantastic couple. And I love their costumes because they always kind of compliment each other. Yes. <laughs> in whatever they're wearing. Like and like this loveless marriage that they make work but not really. It's not loveless. It's just it's just screwed up. Very messed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we have Absalom at the beginning just being the chancellor official like you know he's he's having political difficulties but he's got his his golden wife there to support him when she's in that golden black dress and he's in like his gold smoking jacket i'm like you two look like a power couple (laughs) yes i love it they're always kind of like low-key matching just looks so good I love the um, chancellor's robes, that black and gold again, it appears. It's clearly like a sign of, you know, the government too. And, oh, it looks so good. I also love the name Absalom. I might use that. Right? I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Again, they don't really say his name. (laughs) I feel a sim in my future being named Absalom. I'm going to write that down. I I agree. (laughs) But... Unfortunately, they both kind of take a take a turn. First off, piety turns out to be evil. I I know, but turns out like from the beginning, you kind of knew that this woman had something to do with what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when she's in that fabulous black costume to go see Kit the kidnapped Jonah, who she has kidnapped her own child. Her own and, but child. But she's like dressed to the nines. And I'm like, <laughs> dang, girl. Yeah. She sells herself out because she's wearing her highest heels to the to the kidnapping site. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. And 
throughout because she starts at you know this like gold and black and she just gets like darker and darker till she's in that final black and like plum purple number which i'm like ooh, like that was the perfect one to end on because it's like she's still trying to maintain like her status but she has gone like insane yeah it's very like dark and gothic but she's still like almost kind of like hopeful that she's gonna pull herself out of this because at the end of the day like everything's still kind of going according to plan for her at this moment Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't exactly work out that way. Um, and Dira Varma is just brilliant. Just so you all know, she's in Game of Thrones. She plays Ilaria Sand, one of my favorite characters from the show, who is grossly underused. And don't like, don't even get me started on it. Uh, she is brilliant. And then poor Absalon, who turns out to be Orlando Bloom's dad. <laughs> The whole time, he just looks like an absolute gentleman. Like, I love the hunting jacket he wears when he meets Rycroft. Like, that looks like something a British gentleman would go hunting in. Like, Yes, 100%. Such a complicated character because I really spent, like, most of the show not liking this guy. But by the end of it, I was like, I kind of actually like you. And then he died. And I was like, well, it was short-lived. But yeah. And I'm just like, ooh, okay. You're even then, even what you sl- in what you sleep in is like gorgeous and beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what a way to go out. But at the end, we have a very unlikely cu- coupling of Jonah Breakspear and Sophie oh, Long- yeah. Longervain. <laughs> I knew it. Elizabeth had to sneak in one more incest story into season two. (laughs) I gotta say, I did not know the media was so rife with incestuous relationships. (laughs) Oh my gosh, when... When Piety said that y'all are related, I was like, God damn it, Elizabeth. <laughs> because I thought they were such a great couple. <laughs> and that was another one of those things I kind of forgotten about. And then no. she popped up in like the second or fourth, I think like the fourth episode or something. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> but anyways, we won't get into incest this week too much. No. But they're, no. <laughs> but their costumes, especially um, Sophie's. Oh, my goodness. Like, she was quite the fashionista. She was such a fashionista. First off, Jonah goes from being, like, such a playboy to the chancellor of the Berg. Like, right. This actually gave me whiplash because he was like such a POS from the beginning of the show and ends up being like the chancellor. And I, it kind of happened too fast for me. Uh, right? Because it's like literally the first time you see him, he's like coming in from a night out at the brothel, like half dressed, like. Yeah, looking dirty. Like he just woke up. Needs a shower. Like on some yeah. pirate island. Like what's going on? And then he's all official and mean by the end of it yeah and i'm just like what is happening here in contrast we have sophie who starts out in like this very beautiful like t 
teal and black and like she's just kind of mysterious and then she spends the rest of the season being the best looking mourner i have ever seen (laughs) she's always in mourning but she's not really i like to think that she's you know she was so sheltered at living with her father and when he finally died she was like this was my moment yeah she had like all of her outfits planned for the day he died on forward like she was she's been preparing her entire life for this oh yeah she was just waiting for that man to drop dead (laughs) (laughs) it is hilarious because clearly he was very hateful towards her yeah he was an asshole yeah he it seems like he thought of her as like taking his wife away even though like that's not her fault and like she just gets the best revenge on him by kind of like upholding what he wanted for the berg even though she knows it's the wrong thing like she knows it's what will like bring the berg down but she's like "Mm, okay i'll uphold my father's racist policies because i hated him so much that i want to see the berg fail yeah i mean it was confusing i feel like even like Jonah, too, wasn't, like, 100% on board with this, but it's almost like both of the children were, like, we're playing, like, some crazy government video game right now, and we're just trying to win, (laughs) so. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, what they're both trying to do is, like, destroy their parents' legacies because they feel like they've been wronged by their parents. But that is the wild, wonderful world of carnival row and i am just waiting on pins and needles for season two it's filmed it's out there it's just not on amazon yet yeah i you know i finished watching the show at like midnight last night and i was like in bed on my phone like carnival row season two where the fuck is it give it to me now i need to know it's it's filmed they had covid setbacks i think orlando bloom got covid at some point and he also sounds like he he had one of his kids so like yeah he had a daughter so like all sorts of stuff has gone down so but it's happening and that's good because that's that's more than what we could say for a lot of our favorite shows so exactly exactly but spencer are you ready to talk about some of our favorite looks yes elizabeth are you ready to play Hit it, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) The one costume to rule them all. Spencer, what was your one costume to rule them all? This has by far been the hardest one we've done, actually, because there's so many great costumes in this show. There are. Like, I feel, I almost feel bad because it's like, I almost feel like we did like a Cliff's Notes version of all the costumes because it's like, there are so many. This episode's probably going longer than we already intended, but we could we could talk about the show for the next four hours if we yeah. wanted to. Um, I think my one costume to rule them all, I think it's going to be the red velvet number that Emil Jin Spurnrose wears because Ooh, it just yes. said so much about her character, um, but also it's giving me like very Crimson Peak vibes too. At the same time, Jessica Chastain moment. So it was just, you know, I love that red velvet and I just love that symbolism of like that scarlet letter type moment where everyone's looking at her because she's with Agreus and everyone's just so disgusted, but she doesn't care because love is love love 
and everyone deserves to succeed in this world. And Imogen finally has her moment. And I love that. Yeah, Imogen really is like taking control of her life in that moment. And I love that. And that's kind of how I chose my one costume to rule them all. It is Sophie Longerbane, the morning dress she wears to her <laughs> first session of Parliament with the the fabulous hat, the like very heavy black satin and like fur black trimming, black gloves, just everything's perfect and curated. And it's like she took this to be her moment to do what she wanted with her life to take the spot she feels like is rightfully hers. Yes. And just start to... Ooh, giving me chills. (laughs) Fuck shit up. Like, that is what she's trying to do. (laughs) Yeah, this is an amazing costume, too. Definitely one of my favorites. I just love how quick she came to work. You know, her dad died. She said, okay, like, where are the keys? This is my castle now. We got things to do. Let's do this. I've been reading lots of books. She said once, twice, three times... I've been listening in on all your secret little meetings at my house. I'm ready for this. It's, let's let's go. Let's do this. I love that. Uh, me too. But it's time to move on in quite a dramatic fashion. Spencer, <laughs> what are we watching next week? <laughs> uh, next week for the end of Fairy Tale Romance Month, we are watching Stardust, one of my favorite movies I grew up with. I don't really grew up with, but I just... <sighs> It's I've I've watched this movie two thousand times. The costumes are brilliant. I think everyone loves this movie. I'm so excited. A Neil Gaiman classic. Yes, Robert De Niro in a dress. You know, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's all good. Beautiful, beautiful. I can't wait. Everybody, if you like this episode, please leave us a little five-star text review if you are so inclined. We would love it if you could share us with your friends. But have a great week, everybody. And don't forget to head to our new merch store. Follow us. Support us on Patreon. Yes. We have so many great things for you all now. We do. We have our, our first tier, which you'll get little extra funny moments from our episodes (laughs) and we have our second tier which gets you an extra episode every month so if you want to listen to us for another like two hours a month (laughs) sign up for our patreon oh my gosh our first bonus episode is straight up crazy it it was too long (laughs) so i hope you're all ready for that (laughs) i hope you all have a great week see you next time the art of costume blogcast is hosted and produced by elizabeth joy glass and spencer williams our audio engineering and editing is done by dan white follow us on instagram at the art of costume pod or visit the art of costume blogcast.com for all blogcast updates if you want to support the show go to the art of slash pod store or you can head over to patreon.com slash the art of costume for some bonus content for more costume reviews deep dives and interviews Head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design.
Yeah. Another place I'm obsessed with the textiles. Where are you going? I'm here. I just turned the light on. I can hear you. I'm just you, leaving. I'm like, bye. You went entirely out of frame to turn that light on. And I was like, what the? Where is he? <laughs> anyway, another place I'm obsessed, obsessed with the tech. Stop it. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 